Welcome, listeners, to the first bonus episode of QAnon Anonymous, the McCann Podesta Pizzagate episode. As always, we are your hosts, Karen Geyer, Julian Field, and Travis View. So this week we're doing something a little different. The episode is a deep dive into a story that is, let's say, QAnon adjacent. On our Pizzagate episode, we already covered with Travis that the conspiracy is a sort of indie prequel to the big budget production that is QAnon, the conspiracy to end all conspiracies. QAnon, I'm told, eats conspiracy theories for breakfast and shits fake indictments. Our story this week certainly has origins in Pizzagate, but much of the theory is integrated into QAnon lore as well. Jake has been replaced by previous guest Karen Geyer, who is our guest host on this episode. When I informed him of this, he said, quote, she will not replace me, and left it at that. Uh, so Karen, why don't you kick off this bizarre story which has recently resurfaced in popular culture thanks to a Netflix documentary. Uh, also, thanks for writing the entire script, Karen. <laughs> You're the best. So right off the top, this episode talks about sexual abuse of minors. If that is not something that you want to hear about, you might want to skip this episode. N- now, okay. I'm, now I'm imagining people who are like, I do want to hear about that. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> it makes it even more the, intriguing. people who believe in QAnon definitely do. Like I had this discussion recently with some people. We were like, you know, people who are super into Pizzagate and all that stuff, people who are in into intactivism, both spend an inordinate amount of time thinking about the genitals of children. And it's really yeah, like that's they should be profiled by the police. Like Madeline McCann, The Podestas, and Pizzagate with Karen Geyer. On May 3rd, 2007, Madeleine McCann disappeared from her parents' holiday villa in Praia de Luz, Portugal. Her disappearance set off a worldwide media frenzy that surpassed even Elizabeth Smart's disappearance. How could a child vanish without a trace from a place where so many people were out on the street at the time of her disappearance? What happened next was a series of calamities and tragedies for the McCann family. First, a family friend was accused as the lead suspect. He was later exonerated and won numerous libel settlements. Then... Madeline's mother herself became Aguida, the Portuguese term for named suspect in the case. She was subjected to hours of high-pressure, hostile questioning by Portuguese police. Then it came to light that the Portuguese police may have bungled the case from the beginning. They neglected to shut down the roads leading in and out of prior delusion time. They seemed to not know how to preserve a crime scene or the chain of custody of evidence. They didn't seem to be following up on leads as they came in. They neglected to question the individuals of interest, and they were rumored to be taking long lunches and generally looking incompetent. Uh, To be fair to the Portuguese, they have great food. (laughs) That's true. The fucking food rips. The McCanns hired a private investigative team to help get answers faster. The first, control risks paid for by a wealthy benefactor, didn't turn up any significant leads. Later, the McCanns would hire Metodo Tres, which had a sterling reputation, but the relationship would come to an abrupt end when it was discovered that the head of the organization had lied to the press and the McCanns about how far along they were in the investigation. This was particularly bad because they went on television and said, well, we know who took her and we're very close to closing the investigation. And obviously, you know, 10 years later, we're still sitting here with our dicks in our hands. So... (laughs) Yeah, the the guy is particularly... Uh, outrageous and then apparently he told his colleague later like no I knew that we didn't have anything but uh, it was still worth it for the press yeah because that's that's what you'll find out as we go along in this is that a lot of private investigative work is about using the current case to get other cases um, you know because the retainer and the the expenses are how they pay their bills and so anytime that you can catch press for something uh, you can use that to get other clients. Mm. Well, but, every business but, uh, is show business. Yeah. Little uh, little did they know that uh, uh, Metodo Tres was going to look amazing compared to the next step. Yeah. So this is very sad. Finally, the McCanns were courted by many firms in America and decided to go with Oakley International, an organization with a high caliber roster of experts, including former FBI, CIA, and MI6 operatives, who were considered expensive but worth it. They had access to the most cutting-edge technology. They had assets all over the world. It seemed like they would come in and blow the case wide open. Initially, they seemed to be doing the work that no one else had to up until that point. They were questioning every assumption the investigators had made in the original investigation. 
they promised the McCanns that they would do what no one else had the guts to do to solve the case. And you'll find out what some of those things are later. In another stunning disappointment for the McCanns, Oakley International was headed by a fraudster, Kevin Halogen, who had not only lied about his credentials, but he had been running up enormous expenses on the foundation dime while not turning up much in evidence. His investigation was unorthodox, to say the least, and included sending a dummy family with a three-year-old child in tow to Praia de Luz to bait the people they suspected took Madeline McCann. Classic. I don't... Uh, first of all, who the fuck agrees to that? Who would put a three-year-old yeah. child on the end of a hook and and uh, and just yeah. tra- trawl the bay? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. We want to we want to use your child to like bait possible kidnappers. Be like, oh, that sounds worthwhile. Yeah, this yeah. is good. It's it's just, I mean, the level here and like every single thing that you'll see about this particular case and how Oakley International handled it has expert testimony from people in the FBI and whatever who've said, like, that is the most irresponsible. Like, that would never, a security agency would never undertake something like that because it's just, what's what's the end result, first of all? It's not like a bait car. Yeah. Which, by the way, I think is entrapment anyways, but that's not neither here nor there. It's not like a bait car. This is an actual human life, and you're just, like, you're just pissing into the wind, like, hoping that, like, <laughs> Yeah. Hoping that you're gonna, you know, I mean, it's just it's how fucking so... funny would it be if they, uh, if they took the three year old child and they didn't manage to catch the person? <laughs> so they just have stacks of missing kids, they're trying to bait with more yeah. kids. Yeah, I mean, just throw children just... at the problem. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so the most significant leads in the Oakley investigation were the questioning of the timeline of events and looking into some overlooked eyewitness reports specifically by Martin and Mary Smith. They're a married couple that uh, their reports led to the production of two e-fits of the same suspect, which they claim they saw walking at night carrying a blonde, fair child in light-colored pajamas away from the area where the McCanns were staying. Yeah, the first uh, e-fit was literally a blank oval with straw-like child-drawn seemingly hair just kind of Ador- yeah. adorning the blank oval and they published it front page of the newspaper <laughs> yeah it was basically the like do you remember um the the leprechaun do you remember the where the where the gold at that oh, leprechaun i do yeah. remember this yes hmm. yeah i mean that was basically what it looked like i mean it could have yeah. literally been anyone yeah no hat on that one though but anyway <laughs> okay so this event, this specific event, the production of the EFITS plays heavily into the conspiracy theory that we're about to go into. So it's important to explain a few things before we get there. So let's talk about Oakley International, Kevin Halogen. Kevin Halogen was never a spy, not for MI6, not for the CIA. Yet he founded a prestigious PI firm that had clients who were in the upper, upper echelon of Washington's elite. He was able to lure high, uh, sorry, he was able to lure actual high-level experts and spies to do work for him for years, completely undetected. But how did that happen? So it turns out that Kevin was a charismatic bullshitter who was long on flattery and loved to tell a good story. He spent lavishly and always showed his marks a good time. You have to remember that the ultra-wealthy and ultra-connected can buy almost anything in the world, but they can't buy the experiences for others. That's where people like Fire Festival's Billy McFarlane and Society Grifter Anna Delvey, and in this case, Kevin Halogen, come in. They can offer the rich a seductive story with a gilding of tittle-tattle. Kevin Halogen was famous for really talking up his exploits and bragging about former missions. This is something that actual spies never do. <laughs> I mean, he had like a apparently he carried around this um this lighter that had an inscription on it and he was like, "Oh, you know, this was from this coup that, you know, we helped organize and blah blah blah." Like everything always was like a tall tale, but a lot of people said that in hindsight that it sounded a lot like things that were in actual spy movies or like gangster yeah. films. So it wasn't even original. Yeah. He just sort of mashed a bunch of shite together i mean but i i love a good uh a commemorative lighter for a coup <laughs> yeah. yeah you know getting the boys together just <laughs> you know putting a skull about... maybe an eagle on it <laughs> talking about the coups we left behind oh wait hang on i heard it 
<laughs> I heard it. It's too late. It's staying in. You're canceled. <laughs> you heard it here. Uh, Karen thinks about the coups she left behind. I'm... Highland coups only. Please save me. Uh... <laughs> According to the Washington Post, Kevin befriended John Holmes, a retired British Army general who was head of British military special forces. Holmes hired Halogen as an IT consultant. And the the only sort of documentation that we have of his of Kevin Halogen's actual work that was even tangentially connected to any kind of um you know, spy work is this job where it was apparently they were working on batteries and software for batteries for missions that were happening that MI6, I guess, and other organizations in the military were undertaking. Yeah, so <laughs> that's right. I served a sandwich to a spy once. I'm a yeah. spy now. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> batteries are very important, but I'm not sure that they're necessarily the equivalent of going through, you know, like <laughs> spy training and uh, the equivalent of going through the ranks at, um, you know, Langley or... <laughs> <laughs> something like that anyway yeah honestly if you haven't been fucked in by langley like you're not a spy <laughs> okay well holmes knew halogen uh was not a spy he helped him set up an investigative firm which was almost comically named red defense international <laughs> yeah no communism here dot com like <laughs> anyway <laughs> Holmes also backed Halogen's pledge to join the Special Forces Club, a private club specifically for ex-intelligence workers. This one move would be the buy-in Halogen would need to parlay his grift into a true money-making machine. It gave Kevin contacts and lent him bona fides. Kevin moved to America soon after and hired a high-powered law firm to help him set up his business. He made contact with a number of high-ranking ex-government, ex-intelligence people who would vouch for him and help him keep up the appearance that he knew what he was doing. In a place like Washington, no one noticed him shamelessly promoting himself or leveraging one contact for the next, higher-level contact. I mean, this is a very typical thing that you would see with, you know, um, K Street lobbyists or, uh, you know, politicians who need to trade something for something in order to get a vote that, you know, people would just run through who do I know about this? How do I talk to the next person or whatever? So this really did not hit anybody's radar whatsoever. And actually in interviews and a lot of documentaries, when people were asked about him, they said, you know, we had all these high, high level people who are used to interrogating others and understanding facial cues and whatever. And we all got snowed. None of us really saw through his, his grift, which I mean, you've got to think that the money here was probably because he was lavishly spending. He was showing up with a driver and a limo and all of these things that really had to go pretty far with this, because I can't imagine <laughs> being in a room with somebody who actually knows what they're talking about and sort of talking high technical, uh, you know, ops and things like that with them and and them not understanding that you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, this is pretty incredible. I mean, I mean. <laughs> It just shuts down people's brains. I know that, yeah, that there there are studies and stuff where uh, where the people are more likely to show the right of way to an expensive car than a cheap car. Yeah, because yeah. just people, yeah. yeah, just that sort of like high status just makes people dumb. Yeah, <laughs> I read an essay a couple of years ago about some of my time that I spent in Hong Kong, and I I was friends with a guy who was a literal grifter over there. He was actually I found it subsequently um, under surveillance by the Chinese government for like w walking out on some kind of development that he was involved in that went wrong. And, um, everybody in his orbit was like, Oh my God, he's such a great guy. We, you know, we have fun. And like, you know, one time I had to go to Shanghai and he happened to be in Shanghai at the same time. And we hung out and he took me to this place called M on the Bund, which is a very expensive restaurant. He got the private room in the back. Like I had no reason for believing that he wasn't who he said he was. It's very seductive. And now you must carry his child to term. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so at the time that his business was at its peak, but the coffers were running low from Halogen's unbelievable expending. He was hired to work on the Madeleine McCann case. He built the trust out of hundreds of thousands of dollars before the contract was terminated. And soon, questions about Halogen's claims began to mount. Halogen was arrested in London with the intent to extradite him to face fraud charges in America, which were unrelated to the McCann case. He later returned to England um, and in sort of disgrace on a handcuffed to a U.S. plane 
and he uh, later died of a brain hemorrhage. And that's going to become important in the next section. So we also need to talk about the Tanner sighting. So Jane Tanner was one of the women that was in the group of people that were traveling and dining with the McCanns on vacation. Jane was on a bed check duty the night of the disappearance and noticed a man carrying a small child away from the resort as she approached. After working with one of the top sketch artists in the world on a sketch, she was unable to identify a single detail on the man's face. Uh, and still, her testimony was considered a significant lead. And it was for years. This yeah. was <laughs> In the documentary, there's, there's like a scene with this kind of out there artist who apparently was like an ex-police artist. And she basically draws a person just just walking, holding a child. And, and she yeah. congratulates herself on, like, you know, nailing, like, the spirit of this person whose face yeah. you can't see. Again, you, no help whatsoever. You just know that it's a man. Yeah. And, I mean, I my heart does go out to this poor woman who's had to suffer from all of this trauma. And then her having to recall this person's face that, you know... We know we know that when you're having traumatic experiences, everybody processes that differently. And also, um, she it it wasn't it wasn't a significant event at that at that point because Madeline hadn't been reported missing. So why would you take note of the details of a person's face? Yeah, just because you know, just because you saw them doing something. Which, by the way, like this uh, Pride Luche, uh, but the, specifically the place that they were staying at was had lots of kids staying there. Um, it was the kind of place where, you know, everybody ate very late. So sometimes the kids fell asleep in the restaurant and they were taking them home. And like, you know, it was not, Yeah. this wasn't considered a weird thing to see somebody carrying a sleeping yeah. child from here to there. I mean, I mean, the, literally the know. only faces I ever remember, including my loved ones is, is, uh, you know, the face of child thieves. <laughs> <laughs> All those fucking child thieves. All right. Um, so that so we need to talk about the efits. One small bit of hope from Oakley International came from writing off the Tanner sighting of a man carrying a small child at the time of Madeline McCann's appear, disappearance, which is something that the police should have done much, much earlier. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and according to the Netflix documentary, The Disappearance of Madeline McCann, the person spotted was likely a crush worker. So as I just mentioned before, uh, you know, this place had a whole child's program that the kids would be in activities during the day and they would feed them lunch. And then um, they would return the kids at night to the parents. And there was also a crash. So if you were going out and this became a, a problem <laughs> with the press at the very beginning, because they were like, these people are all doctors and they have money and they're already paid to stay here. Why wouldn't you pay the extra whatever it was, 20 euros a day, 30 euros a day to put your kids in a bloody crash instead of uh, leaving them in their room at night. Now, do American listeners know what a crash is? I, I, I'm not entirely <laughs> sure. It's basically like a babysitting like, yeah. center. It's a, it's like a like daycare day or night care. Daycare, yeah. But it's, I mean, at night, this would be a situation where the kids would all be in little cots and they would be asleep, basically. Yeah. So... Um, but the whole thing about the crash is that, you know, they did have workers that probably were returning kids to their parents and things yeah. like that. And if the kid is asleep, I mean, anybody who's a parent knows this, you don't wake a kid, especially a toddler. If they're asleep, oh, yeah. you just, you roll with it. <laughs> Another sighting of a man carrying a child came from a couple, the Smiths, who had seen a different man carrying a child at this time. Unlike Jane Tanner, they were able to describe the face of the man in question. Two EFITs, suspect sketches that were made using rendering software, which are often used by the police, were generated. They are of the same suspect. One of the things that got bungled in the situation with the EFITs is that the McCanns were given the EFITs and they were advised not to release them to the press. So the police had them, um, but the press did not. When the UK TV series Crime Watch to the Madeleine McCann episode, the EFITs were shown and the press uncovered the fact that the McCanns had them in their possession for over four years. This ended up being a critical mistake for their credibility and helped to bolster the narrative that the McCanns were covering up the investigation. And it's important to note at this point that um, as this dragged on, this became a thing where it was still in the news 
And, and, you know, with Twitter, this was one of the first big cases that was hotly debated on Twitter. And a lot of people were like, oh, those fucking parents did it. Oh, look yeah. what they're doing. Mm -hmm. They're, you know, they're involved in the cover up and all of this stuff. So there was a lot of that sentiment going on. And then when this came out, it was like pouring gas on a fire. Yeah. Wait until deplorable mama 62 gets a, a hold of this shit. Yeah, you know, her her weekend course at the learning annex that she did on being a detective. <laughs> she she's on it. She knows. I've been watching Blue's Clues with my <laughs> with my kid for years. Yeah. So to date, there is no evidence that the McCanns had involvement in the disappearance of their daughter, save for the obvious negligence of leaving children alone in a strange place at night. On March 15th, 2019, Netflix released the docuseries The Disappearance of Madeline McCann, and the series goes into exhaustive detail about the events surrounding Madeline's disappearance and her parents' exhaustive efforts to solve the case and the betrayals and malfeasance that met them at every turn. It's a story about parents who had to relive their personal torment for over a decade. You know, and something that gets lost in this is that Madeline wasn't their only child. There are other children at home that have to live through this every single day of their life. They have to go out to the grocery store with their mom and hear people say horrible shit to their mother. I mean, it's really important to understand that this isn't just like, oh, there's some shit in the Daily Mail and you can just not buy the Daily Mail. This really had a profound effect on their lives from that day forward. Yeah, <clears throat> but I mean, where were those um, twins the night of... Madeline's disappearance. <laughs> um, so recently, this is probably the only like pro-children thing that David Cameron has ever done. London's Metropolitan Police, also known as Scotland Yard, have undertaken the investigation from their end. They claim that there are many leads that they can still pursue and have been given a mandate to find answers. They hope that with the Netflix documentary and the serial effect that they'll be able to finally close the case. So why are we talking about this <laughs> on the QAnon Anonymous podcast? Because we know from listening that nothing on the internet is free from being incorporated into the bizarre myth of Pizzagate. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> That's where you have to put the reggaeton horn. <laughs> <laughs> Madeline, yeah. the Podestas, and Pizzagate. So you may remember Pizzagate as the predecessor of QAnon, and QAnon has absorbed whole cloth some of the major themes from Pizzagate, including the alleged child trafficking ring organized by prominent Democrats. While Q has never specifically name-dropped Comet Pizza or its owner, it has kept the allegations of participation in child trafficking by the Podesta brothers intact. It was, after all, the Podesta email leak by WikiLeaks that set off the entire conspiracy theory about the nefarious origins of cheese pizza, hot dogs, and walnut sauce. Cue drops have referenced John Podesta dozens of times, and the misreading of the WikiLeaks dump of the Podesta emails are a major pillar in the assertions of Q. So how did Madeline McCann's disappearance get caught up in Pizzagate? It boils down to a few key things. So... Portugal's location. Portugal shares the Iberian Peninsula landmass with Spain. Historically, Portugal has been a major stop for traders and, the, and a country that launched explorations of the New World from its many ports. Portugal, the, a land of contrasts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'll see in a bit. Uh, the Algarve, uh, which is where Praia de Luz is, is close enough to both southern Europe and northern Africa by water that it has been a hotbed of smuggling since time immemorial. And it was a place where slaves were brought into Europe. As a matter of fact, if you go on the Portugal Travel Discover Portugal website, <laughs> one of the quote-unquote attractions is that you can you can see the slave merchant building. So like this was a very strong part of their history. Yeah, you got to prime the tourism pump by, you know, bringing over a couple people by force first. <laughs> yeah. And Portugal played a major role in bringing slaves to America from the African continent. I mean, that's indisputable. You can look that up rather easily. So, it has it has a sort of shroud of some of these horrific things over it to begin with. Plus, 
something that that gets lost is that there is still a huge amount of racism uh, from the British people uh, towards Portugal and Portuguese people. It's uh, in that documentary in particular, the, the way that they describe things is, you know, being backward and, you know, like the they sort of make these police police officers into these like, uh, you know, Italian movie you know, guys where they're sitting around just, you know, drinking all afternoon. Like it's really the, the racism really comes through. And, and that's sort of one of the things that sort of taints this whole case. But even in, in the Netflix documentary, the way they film the Portuguese police is in a dimly lit room yes. with only desk lamps. And it's just like they're always smoking. It literally mm-hmm. looks like a, you know, a kind of a den of like, savage incompetence there is this like particularly terrible woman i didn't really go into this too much but um the mccann's hired this this pr firm to help them navigate the press and uh the woman specifically who is in charge of it on the ground in portugal is is a straight-up racist who basically calls portugal and portuguese people everything in the book that's that's a nice way of using racism. It's really something. It's really an art in and of itself. There's also something that is a predecessor to this that makes it slightly plausible. So there's a bizarre story of child abuse in the history of uh, Portugal. So in 1981, a school in Portugal called Casapia was implicated in a child rape ring that stretched all the way back to the 1960s and possibly even earlier whereby rich pedophiles would fly to Portugal with the express intent of raping and hurting children, many of whom were deaf or mute. Yes. <laughs> um, and these were kids. It's, it, it's really important to talk about this part. These were kids that came from absolutely dire circumstances. So whether they were, uh, they had disabilities. They, these were kids who came from poor families or maybe they had only one parent at home or they had other, uh, they had other social disadvantages for the time period that meant that these kids, this was a great white hope for them. This was a thing where, Oh, you're going to go to this great school that has a great reputation and you're going to get an education and you will be able to make something of yourself. So it, this is really particularly sinister in a bunch of different gross ways. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> and the perpetrators were among some of the highest ranked government officials, captains of industry, and even some entertainers. Students alleged that workers at the school also participated in the abuse. So <laughs> you've got just a real shitstorm here. The scandal rocked Portugal and it dominated the news for months. Only a few of the accused were ever tried. It remains a black mark on Portugal's history, one it thought it had left behind until it was referenced again in the wake of Madeleine McCann's disappearance. Also, Casa Pia, two Z's away from being Casa Pizza. That's true. Think about it. The Podestas put the Z's back in Casa Pizza. Yeah. Symbology will be the downfall. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> these people are stupid. Something that just occurred to me is like all of all of the like references to the Podestas and all of this stuff is like uh, p- got to be partially down to the fact that they have like Italian heritage and this is a pizza related event. So like it's, it's gonna... <laughs> hey, the Podesta brothers pizza parlor. <laughs> oh, I saw them. They were wearing these overalls. They had these weird hats on. They had the twirly mustache and a big chef's hat on, and they were carrying a child. Oh, my God. <laughs> so uh, so that's the Casapia story, which is particularly sad. And now there's another one here, which <laughs> this is fucked up, <laughs> really <laughs> fucked up. Oh boy. Um, so there was a man named Sir Clement Freud, and he is a direct descendant of our friend Sigmund, uh, famous uh, cocaine connoisseur and uh, founder of modern psychiatry. <laughs> and <laughs> and Sir Clement Ford was a, a celebrity in Britain. He was a celebrity chef. He had a number of other things that he had done. He was one of these people who would show up on panel shows and, you know, uh, various te- television events. And, and people knew who he was. And he would, you know, show up in the pages of Tatler and things like that. He was also a Jimmy Savile level pedophile. I mean, the the details 
of which were only fully grasped after his death when victims and their families came forward. And it was identical to the Jimmy Savile case in that regard, that this was an open secret. People knew, people had advised others to never let their, you know, kids around him and things like that. And it was just one of these, like, things that was just a torrent of horrific stories that came out after the after he had died. So he also owned a home in the Algarve near the McCann's Resort in Praia de Luz. <laughs> oh, so Clement God. Freud also at what? one point... Yes. He no, also at, don't do it, <laughs> Sir Clement Freud! He met with the McCann's at one point to discuss their case and to offer help. Nice. At the time, it was not public knowledge that he was a pedophile. Oh. And there's no evidence that the meeting went anywhere to the effect that he became involved in the case or anything like that. These details have been smushed together and mixed with a lot of conjecture to come up with a theory that Pizzagators believe that Tony and John Podesta were in Portugal at the time of Madeleine McCann's disappearance, and they took her for the express purpose of child trafficking. Yeah, who 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 uh, who who can forget that summer watching uh, the Podesta brothers half nude, drooling, uh, and just asking anybody in the street, "Where can I find some walnut sauce?" Yeah. So we're gonna break down the assertions of this theory, which are all over the web. If you, for instance, while I was doing research for this, if you look up, you know. Uh, documentaries that covered the case at the time. So just like straight down the middle, like, you know, Channel 4, you know, decides to talk about the Madeleine McCann case or interview this person or whatever. Because of YouTube's algorithm, the next thing that you'll get suggested is one of these videos that's like top five freaky things about Madeleine McCann's disappearance. And it is all of this horse shit. Amazing. So, yeah. So well, thank we're you recording this episode after the head of product at a... Uh at YouTube claim that this doesn't exist, so we should stop complaining. Right. Also, yes, yeah. we have free will, so you're the one clicking on the next thing we propose, <laughs> which automatically plays, of course. Right. I had to set up an account on YouTube for the first time in years uh, recently, and when I clicked through onto one of the videos that we uploaded for it, the next thing in the queue was uh, a Jordan Peterson video. So... Yep. They can shut the fuck up about that because they had no personal information about us. Um, they, you know, this was a business account, so it didn't have like the typical like male, female, whatever. And I believe actually like in any of those questions, like I, I specifically kept it like prefer not to say like anything like that. So they had no idea yeah. who this account was. And that was the first thing that they decided to suggest to us. Yeah, I can't imagine the algorithm has anything good to show people after our show. If uh, if you know, <laughs> we give up. <laughs> Ours is just for sure we're fucked. Um. Okay. So, we're, I'm going to break down the assertions of this theory, which are all over the web and linked to by every place discussing Pizzagate and the pedo pedestas. And if you go on the classic places that we've discussed before in the show, and that you've discussed before in the show, you know, vote and things like that. Um, you can, you can look at their history of people talking about the, the McCann case and people talking about the Podesta's involvement. And like, this is still like a, a hot button for these people. So it's important to remember as we go through this, that people actually do believe that these assertions are true. So we're going to go through some of the Pizzagate claims. The Pizzagate claim that is that John and Tony Podesta match the efits made of Madeline McCann's captors. Now, is this true? No. So, <laughs> what? <laughs> so the most important thing that, you know, I've talked about previously is that the, the two efits are of one man. So the, the idea and the assertion that these are two efits matching two Podestas doesn't, doesn't wash to begin with. The efit uh, is just a, a, a badly drawn Super Mario. Yeah. And the efits really, I mean, the efits look more like, Madeline's dad than they do like the Podestas. And, you know, this is a classic case of if, like you said, priming the pump, if I say something to you like, oh, you know, look at, look at this, you know, whatever, like that. Remember the sexy gorilla? No. <laughs> so there was this thing about the sexy gorilla that was at a zoo in Japan and people were like, oh, I want to see this fucking sexy gorilla. Cause I don't think he's going to be sexy. And <laughs> Dear God. 
And then, you know, you look at it and you're like, well, he's a good looking gorilla. Okay. So the thing is, is that that's part of like a confirmation bias. You're probably, you're saying like this person looks like this and you're, you're caging it in this video that has all sorts of spooky noises and, you know, has all of this earth shattering information that's complete bullshit. And so it's easy to get seduced into thinking that something is there when it's not. It's the same thing with, you know, when, when people say, oh, like if you go see, um, you know, the Mona Lisa, oh, her eyes follow you all the way around the room. That's not actually true, but people say it's true. So, um, yeah. So the efits come from the testimony of the Smiths, and we know this, and it has been confirmed by all members of law enforcement and Scotland Yard that the two efits are of one man, which is, con- which uh, has been confirmed by multiple law enforcement. You can take that part out. Um, <laughs> well, many of the, well, many people who have a vested interest in this claim that the EFITs match John Podesta or Tony Podesta. It's debatable. I mean, it's really, I mean, it's especially without hair because the EFITs were made without hair yeah. and, uh, I mean, really impossible to say that they do specifically. Yeah. We also know that eyewitness testimony is horribly unreliable and we know that it can be coerced and convinced you know that's half of the <laughs> half of the like true crime things on Netflix or or you know on podcasts is about how eyewitness testimony is notoriously unreliable. There's also a, a PCGate claim that John and Tony Podessa were in Portugal at the time of the abduction. What is the right. reality of that? So the only places where this piece of information is available is on all of these like weird blogs and on weird videos that are trying to make this assertion and they claim that the source of this was Kevin Halogen, but that's not, that's not able to be confirmed. So, <laughs> but wait, uh, so they think it's proof because a fucking huckster who literally yeah. didn't do any of the things he said he did in terms of his experience. He's their proof. A lot of these videos weigh, uh, his testimony and his explanations or even like whole cloth things that are made up and attributed to him as like the word of God and the gospel. And obviously this guy knew because he had access to stuff that no one else did. Yeah. Well, I mean, he did, he had access to like very expensive bottles of tequila and yeah, you know what I mean? He really, I mean, this guy wasn't investigating anything. So for him to quote unquote, have insider knowledge, I mean, Motherfucker was a bigamist, so I don't take anything that he has to say for any kind of anything. Love it. Um, so they 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 were most likely not in Portugal at the time of the abduction. There is one tweet or one comment by uh, uh, by John Podesta that he said, "Oh, you know, we're going to meet our friend Clem." There's no location mentioned in it, and there's no, I mean, there's no implication that that means uh, Sir Clement Freud. So, I mean, that's what they're uh, hanging on, and like, okay, these these two are people who are in the upper echelons of the art world. The the uh, potential for them to know more than one person named Clement is really high. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, what is the next Pizzagate claim? There's a Pizzagate claim that uh, a cabal of elite pedophiles operate out of Portugal. You've talked about this a little bit, but what's the reality of this? Just like anywhere where you have, uh, you know, well-worn smuggling paths and people who have operated with, you know, um, organized crime for years. uh, And you, I mean, you know, children are trafficked between Africa and Europe, and often that does come through Portugal, uh, that part is, is verifiable. Okay. So this does happen. We know it happens. It happens, uh, you know, on any border with anywhere happens in America. Uh, you know, it happens all the time. Uh, in 2008, the government moved to put in place stronger protections to combat human trafficking, but it's not like, oh, this is like, you know, the incidence in France is this and the incidence in Portugal is five times more, 10 times more, 20 times more. It's really pretty consistent with Western European statistics. Like it's there's it's not aberrant in any particular way. Um, and t- obviously you're telling me that people descended from the Greeks and the Romans like to touch children. <laughs> um, and obviously 
we can only go by what the reported cases are or the suspected cases are when you're talking about police statistics. But just like everything that we've talked about on this show before, just like everything that you guys have talked about, um, you know, you cannot keep up massive conspiracies for for long without people knowing about it or people suspecting it. And obviously, like when you have children, children have to be trafficked, you know, under the cloak of darkness or or out in the open in sort of clandestine ways. So people do become aware that things are happening because there are too many pieces involved and too many working parts. Right. So (laughs) obviously human trafficking happens. Nobody is debating that point. Yes, but we need to stop here and measure Portuguese people's skulls. (laughs) But is is Portugal is the Algarve specifically a place where this happens, where it's like, you know, don't let your kid out of your sight for 10 seconds? No. Uh, and Portugal, obviously, like every other place on earth does have pedophiles. And obviously, you know, like in the Madeline McCann documentary, they talk about how there were other cases that were happening at the same time as Madeline's that didn't receive any kind of news coverage whatsoever. Obviously pedophiles are more highly organized now than they ever have before because of the internet, uh, you know, and, but there's no credible evidence that anything approaching another Casa Pia or Pizzagate is happening in Portugal currently. Uh, reported incidents of child rape in Portugal are no higher than in countries of similar size. And so, <laughs> you know, one of the things that's sort of mentioned in a sort of offhand comment is that, you know, Portugal is a place that relies upon, uh, you know, tourist income. And this really did affect their tourism because yeah. nobody wants to see their kids to the, you know, the Pizzagate towers, you know, (laughs) to stay. Um, But even after like half the BBC turned out to be pedophiles, people still visit London. Yeah, exactly. I mean, people still go to Rome. Anyway. uh, And and, and, hey, when in Rome. Yeah. (laughs) 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 All right. The next Pizzagate claim is that uh, Sir Clement Freud was friends with Podestas and also befriended the McCanns after the disappearance. Sir Clement Freud is accused of being a sexual predator. Clement's home was one-third of a mile from the McCann hotel room. Is there any any truth to this? So, yeah, there is some truth to this, but not in the way that it's presented. So, yeah, he was indeed a sexual predator. There's no reason to disbelieve the claims about him uh, in that regard. I mean, there's simply, there's simply too many. They're simply too detailed. There's, they simply follow a pattern that we've seen time and time again played out, whether it's the Bill Cosby case or whether it's, you know, other cases that made the media that this, this probably happened, you know, for legal reasons, I'm not going to be like it happened, but, uh, (laughs) this probably did happen. And he did invite the McCanns over for lunch after the news broke. That is verifiable. However, (laughs) yeah, that's really unfortunate because I think without that one connection here, the rest of this sort of, I mean, it's it's wishful thinking because we know from like every week you guys are talking about shit that doesn't go together that people manage to put together. Mm -hmm. But all it takes uh, is you, you, you open (laughs) up uh, MS Paint, you copy and paste the two things you want to be together and you put them next to each other. Draw a red line. You draw a red line between them. That's a fucking proof. It's like the, like the Thirty Rock quote when Liz is looking up the the of a Yuda Negra, and she's like, "Oh, green type on a blue background. What are you thinking?" And that's Amazing. what I always think about those. Like, they're just like the the design choices are always terrible. So, so yeah, I really do believe that without that one sort of thing that that sort of holds the rest of these claims together this wouldn't be a thing that people were investigating or thinking actually happened. But there's no credible, verifiable information that the Podestas do Clement or that he invited the Podestas to stay with them during the time that Madeline went missing. So <laughs> that is a complete and total fabrication. So, But even so, like, it, let's, let's say you're a pedophile. Let's say you even, <laughs> you know, like have an organized way to uh, touch a variety of different children over time, over years, right? Uh, why would you, 
shit in your own backyard. Like, why would you go for a child, like, you know, a third of a mile away from you? They could easily mm-hmm. be traced and then have them over for lunch right after. I mean, it just, just, yeah. just seems like you're really. It seem, well, it seems crazy. But you remember from the Jeffrey Epstein story, you know, he didn't he didn't, uh, he didn't abuse people from miles away. He was like the high school down the street. Yeah, but he at <laughs> least he had people kind of come over or whatever. But you can't mm-hmm. have like a six year old just kind of come over. I, that's, yeah, that's true. But I mean, I think the lesson is that, is that a lot of these people, uh, you know, is that they're very, very brazen. And yes, they, that's they, true. Because they're because they're corrupt and they know mm-hmm. because of their status, they can get away with it. Yeah. So Travis mm-hmm. is pro Pizzagate, I guess. Yes, yes. I'm a Pizzagate believer. I've got red pilled. This <laughs> was a strange turn of events. <laughs> this think that's where this episode is going. This is the episode where Travis gets red pilled. <laughs> uh, we have a final and amazing Pizzagate claim here. Yes, the final piece of gate claim I want to ask you about is that uh, the detective who linked the Podestas to uh, the McCann case died under mysterious circumstances. What's, what's the reality behind this claim? Right, so they're talking about Kevin Allergen again, and uh, he's he was referred to constantly by co-workers, by friends, by people who knew him intimately, people who attended his wedding, uh, you know, anybody who thought they knew him. Um, that he was an alcoholic and a bad drunk. He was he was described as this guy who, you know, like stumbled all over himself on a night out. And, you know, he was generally like, you know, a, a like 1940s comic book, like, you know, drunk. And of, according to the official reports from the coroner, he died of a brain hemorrhage. And there is, a, you know, the people who want this to be sort of want him to be this like truth teller that got killed, you know, and whatever. Uh, they're forgetting that he died after all of these, these claims happened after all of the, uh, you know, indictments and him being extradited from America after all of that happened. (laughs) Yeah. He has no power. He never found anything and he was was discredited. Right. He was outed as a bullshitter at this point. So, you know, to, to, to say like, Oh, he was this truth teller that was, you know, taken too soon or whatever. So he, the only thing that sort of is like the smoking gun for these people is that his body was said to be covered in blood, uh, when the police discovered his body at the scene. So that on its, on its surface sounds really shocking and horrible. And Oh my God, like why would, but you have to remember, when people have brain hemorrhages, it's almost like a light switch is has being shut off in their bodies, and they they drop to the ground. They, I mean, they it's it's literally yeah. like a lights out situation. <laughs> so, um, so he he may have fallen and you know injured himself on the way down, or there may have been some other he may have been puking up blood before it happened or, you know, some other explanation for the blood. Yeah. Um, you know, and obviously puking up blood is something that alcoholics do. You know, it's uh, you can get a condition called gastritis. And if you put alcohol on that, you can immediately throw up blood. So cool. This, yeah. <laughs> this is not something that is out of the realm of possibility. Um, and also the coroner said that there was no evidence of assault. So no one, came in and beat him up nobody you know gave him cyanide you know there was no evidence of but any it's kind fucking of irrelevant there's no reason to kill him he <laughs> said no truth there's nothing like yeah. it doesn't make any sense even if he was murdered it would be unrelated it would be by someone he fucking grifted probably yeah well i mean and you're talking about taking the word of a guy who went on like national tv in the uk and said like all the money has been accounted for i don't know why people are you know still claiming to this day that I misappropriated it? Yeah, <laughs> and this Amazing. is after fraud, fraud cases, and this is after you know being kicked out of America and yeah. not being allowed to return. So, Karen, so, Carrie, is... what can we take away from all of this? Okay, so it's really important. I thought this was a nice way of sort of putting a really fine point on the fact that there's no connection too tangential for these people to turn into a way to make money. You know, um, there's one guy who has multiple videos available on the internet and it seems like he just lives off of coming up with new theories for investigating this thing and, and for explaining what happened, even though, as we know, no new details have really 
emerged in the last eight years, at least not ones that the police have let go public. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> so I think this is one of those situations where if you were to see one of these videos on YouTube, you'd be like, holy shit, that guy fucking did it. But as you as you go through these these points, you know, and and look at the detail and and the uh, Madeline McCann documentary specifically goes down every single possible way that this crime could have gone down and they investigate it and they debunk a lot of it. So there's really no air left for any of these things. The but funny people... thing, the funny thing about the docu series is honestly, if you stop watching it like halfway through, you'd probably come away thinking someone very specific is guilty, and you'd be completely yes. wrong. So I have to say, the documentary is slightly. It loves to lead you down a path that by the end of the episode convinces you of one thing. So I mean, right? You know, if you don't watch it all the way through, it could actually red pill you in some bizarre way. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's the thing is like one of the things that continues to come up, which came up in uh, the documentary, is the police dogs that searched the apartment. And they said, oh, the police dogs found evidence of corpse and ep evidence of blood. And that was later discredited. And obviously yeah. we know from we know from drug dogs that drug dogs are seem to find, uh, you know, Latino men uh, who are carrying drugs a lot more often than they find, you know, banker, white bankers and, yeah. you know, and rap artists and, <laughs> and whatever. So they, they are, um, they are t tied to their handler and tied to their handlers, uh, you know, ideas about who is a drug dealer or who is <laughs> right. So, the, you know, the way that a dog is handled in a situation can sometimes affect the outcome. And, uh, right. You know, so for people, but people still believe this to your point, there are people that saw that and went, okay, that's it. And they read no more about it. And they went, okay, case solved. <laughs> um, and, you know, they believe to this day that the parents drugged their children, only killed one of them, absconded with a, a baby's corpse in the middle of the night and disposed of it somewhere where no evidence is ever, you know, come of it and you know some people even believe that they that the McCanns had a connection to a a person who cremated animals and sure. that they cremated the body in the middle of the night and yeah. <laughs> I don't know I it, <laughs> Hey honey, hey honey, uh, about 2 thirds through the vacation you want to cremate our daughter? Right. And that's the thing like the the parents quote unquote doing this if you're going to kill one of your children uh, you can do that at home and be a lot more in control of the variables of the crime than you can by putting them on a plane and taking them somewhere with a bunch of other couples and all of their children. Yeah. So <laughs> none of this holds up to any kind of scrutiny, but yeah. people still believe it. And this is one of those things where we are talking about a child that may have been murdered. We are also talking about that child's siblings and parents and extended family who have had to live through this fucking torture every single day since this event happened. Yeah. And, and the, the opinions of people and the, the recriminations in public and all of these horrific things and seeing things in print that nobody would ever expect to see about themselves, you know, even in a horror movie, uh, you know, this is um this has a real effect on people. Yeah, <laughs> this of has course, of course. actual body count for, you know, ruining people's lives and making them uh, you know, just feel like they can't they can't get by. Um and obviously Kevin Heligen was a fraud. He wasn't murdered because he knew the truth. He died disgraced because he didn't know shit all about what happened to Madeline McCann. And <laughs> There, there is enough evidence. You can actually go on YouTube and, and Google, um, you know, Kevin Halogen uh, interview, and you can see excerpts from the interview that he did where he basically claims that he did nothing wrong. You can judge for yourself whether he's an expert bullshitter. Uh, <laughs> and you can get a sense of what you're dealing with there. Yeah, He's not a reliable narrator in any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, and, and what about uh, Clement Freud? Okay, he was an absolute fucking monster. I mean, I don't think there's anybody out there who's who can sit there and be like, well, you know, Jimmy Savile 
like, you know, he was still a brilliant children's entertainer or whatever. Like, I don't think that, you know, uh, no, (laughs) he was a piece of shit. He should have been thrown in jail and and locked very deeply in some kind of sub-basement somewhere before any of this ever happened. So, you know, that is really legitimately sad, but it's it speaks to the fact that the British elite, you know, they do have, you know, they do have sort of an ability to look the other way. Yeah. Uh, and and they're really good at putting together a pedophile ring. Yeah. And the Podestas were likely nowhere near Portugal on the day in question. All assertions to the contrary appear to be made up whole cloth. And I think that's really important because uh, whenever you're talking about QAnon or whenever you're talking about Pizzagate, a lot of these things are just made up whole cloth, but people keep repeating them. So people assume that there is a source for them. Yeah, and often course. there isn't. And this is something that you guys, you know, the reason that your podcast exists is because you're able to say like, no, like, you know, this was a claim that was made in a Q drop and then it never happened, but people still think it happened. Yeah. And that's really important to stop and and question where this information is coming from. And so that's part of the reason why I wanted to do this particular episode, because it is connected to this stuff and it, it does have real implications for real people in this world. Uh, and it is sort of a nice microcosm of how one of these theories comes to be and how it perpetuates and how, you know, you can log on to the Pizzagate vote today and you could you could say, hey, I want to know more about this. And you would get dozens of replies immediately pointing you to all of these documentaries and pointing you to the specific person that I'm not going to mention by name uh, who does all of these videos. Um, <laughs> and, you know, you can get, quote unquote, red pilled really quickly. You, you heard it here first. You have a great opportunity, listener, to get red-pilled. Go out there. Find this guy. Do it for yourself. 1999. Keep Just researching. Watch, never stop researching. Watch 12 hours of YouTube videos late into the night until the red pill just seeps into your brain. Do not eat. Yeah. Make sure you're a little fucked up on some you're other right, shit. Maybe right. like Oxycontin. Make sure you have like a real problem, maybe, like Think in your marriage. Think about how meaningless your life is otherwise without this thing mm. in your life. Yeah. Focus on that. You should research Madeline McCann for 12 hours while your child uh, screams and cries in the next room. That's what Make I recommend. Make some of those patented, what is it, ham and Dorito sandwiches? Yep. What was uh, it that bologna that and Dorito sandwich, oh, open-faced, bologna, white ham. bread on a wet towel. A uh, towel, so you yeah. don't get crumbs everywhere. Do not Very get clever. crumbs everywhere. Everyone knows that it's awesome to have your dry crumbs hit a wet towel. It helps you later or whatever, uh, having to clean a, literally a, a towel for every meal you eat. <laughs> Well, yeah, thanks so much, Karen, for writing all this up and for doing all the research on this. It's uh, so cool to have you as as our kind of guest host on our first bonus episode. We love a good takeover, uh, and it won't be the last, and I'm sure it won't be your last either, because you seem to have a sick mind and you don't know where to stop. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I'm going to put that on my LinkedIn and attribute it to you. So <laughs> Yeah, LinkedIn is the right place for that. Get ready. <laughs> This has been the QAnon Anonymous podcast. We don't advertise on our show. We're supported entirely by our listeners. You can go to patreon.com slash QAnon Anonymous and subscribe for five bucks a month. You'll get access to all of our premium episodes we've already recorded, and you'll get a new one every single week. So that means two episodes minimum every week with the normal one. Uh, This will allow us, of course, to progress towards financial independence uh, for the show, which is not currently our main job, but we want that to be the case. Uh, It's what we're aiming for. So, yeah, go go to Patreon and and throw us your money. Uh, Thanks for helping us towards our goal of being 100% financially and editorially independent and sustainable. Our guest host this week, of course, is Karen Geyer. Uh, You can follow her on Twitter at Karen Geyer. That's G-E-I-E-R. Karen, is there anything else you'd like to plug? Um, no, not really at this point, but thank you for asking. Well, that, this part went well. Uh, you can follow <laughs> us on Twitter at QAnon Anonymous. And for the host, it's at Julian Field. That's F-E-E-L-D. Uh, I have this thing called at Real Rockatansky. I actually don't know whose Twitter account that is. And uh, at Travis underscore view is uh, our, our, our research brain, our podcast dad. And the one we love uh, more than anyone else, really, including, uh, you know, the guy whose name shall never be spoken again. Listener, until next week, may the deep dish bless you and keep you. It's not a conspiracy, it's a fact. And the laws are being handed down. 50 dead, 50 wounded, right there. The occultists 
right there, the ritual, the Illuminati gave us their new similitude for, the, for, the, for the, their version of the dark commandments. And what happens five days later? They ban all automatic weapons. I was gonna say, they went after the guns, didn't they? Five days later, okay? These numbers mean something. And if they don't mean anything to you, okay, but they mean something to the Illuminati and these fucking devils that are, that are, 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 are utilizing this numeric vibrational energy.